Hello everyone and welcome to Exploring Middle Earth. My name is Jay and today, as always, I'm joined by Grant. Yeah. Yep, that's Grant over yep, there. Yep, that's me. Uh, so today we are excited to do an exciting episode. <laughs> but it's also a tearjerker. It's a sad episode. Yeah. We're doing uh, The Life of Turin Tarambar. Yeah, um... This comes from the uh, the story of the children of Hurin. So Turin is only, I mean, Turin's the main part of that story, but there's also other parts that we're not really getting into. This is just on the life of Turin. Strictly. Yeah. I mean, we could eventually do an episode where it's everyone else as well, but... We'll um, get to it eventually. We'll get to it eventually, but right not right now. we got to give you guys a break from this. But yeah, so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce you guys to Turin. <laughs> Why don't you do that? Yeah, Grant? this is actually one of my favorite characters from all of Tolkien's works because he's edgy. Yeah, he's edgy. He's an edgy goth. Um, mm-hmm. But no, he's one of my favorite characters, and it's a very tragic story. But it's also yeah. one of my favorite stories. So, um, yeah. So Turin, uh, his parents are Hurin. Uh, it's crazy how they named him after him. Yeah. <laughs> um, of Dor Loman. Dor Loman is the land where they lived. It was like in the north of Beleriand. If you're looking at a map of it. Um, and his mother was Morwen, which meant, um, I think, like, the Dark Maiden or something like that. Dark Maiden. Um, but she was very elf-like, even though she was all human. Yeah. Um, yeah, his father, Hurin, was a lord of men um, of those lands, uh, of the House of Hador. And they were under the kingship of Fingon, who was the high king of the Noldor. And he kind of he kind of ruled from that area, from Dor Loman, and um, I think the wider realm was called Hithlum. Yeah. For sure. Um, throughout his life, Turin has gone by many names. Some are given to himself, um, or some are given to him, and some he gives to himself whenever kind of a notable event has occurred. Um, some of these names are the Woodwose, uh, Wild Man of the Woods, which is given to him by Cyros in remarks to his unkempt appearance. And we'll get to all these parts later when he, he gets these names. Um, Nathan, not spelled like you would, <laughs> not spelled Nathan. like you would normally say Nathan, but that's just how it's pronounced in Elvish, um, which means the wronged. It's like, um, my name's Turin, but you can call me Nathan. Nathan. <laughs> um, there is Gorthal, which means Dreadhelm. There's Agarwine, which means Bloodstained. There's Adonathel, which means Elfman. That was given to him by the elves of Nargothrond. Uh, there is Thorin, which means Secret. Uh, which is really close to his real name, and it was given to him by Finduilas of Nargothrond when she would not believe his name was really Agarwine. Um, there's Mormagil, which means Black Sword, and there's Turambar, which means Master of Doom, and there is Dagnir Glaurunga, which means in Sindarin, Glaurung's Bane, which was given to him after his death, and it was carved on his gravestone. And there's also another name that's very little known, if you know the story of Turin. And it's, it's even littler, lesser yeah, known it's if even you don't know known. the story. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's Nyramarth, which means Nyramarth. evil fated. And this was given to him by Tolkien in a genealogy of the half-elven. So that's the only place it's ever found is in a, like a family tree. So, yeah, you might be going like, what the heck? I've never heard that one. I didn't either, actually. So that was new for me. Me neither. Um... Tolkien seems to have taken a lot of inspiration. I mean, normally he does from mythology. I didn't even finish what I was going to say. That's okay. Tolkien seems to have taken a lot of inspiration from mythology and legends for Turin, 
which I was going to say after that, normally he does with all of his stories. Yeah. But for this one, it, it feels like it's very heavy on... It's heavy, uh, man. Yeah, it's heavy. This is a heavy story. It takes a lot of inspiration. Um, the legend of Sigurd the Dragon Slayer is very prominent for this one. Sigurd the Dragon Slayer was a Norse uh, epic or a Norse tale, Norse legend. Um, I mean, if, if you're... Uh, big old Tolkien nerd like Jay and I would probably heard of the Volsunga saga. Yeah. Um, or so if you've listened to a previous episode, I think we mentioned yeah, it. Yeah, we probably have. Yeah. And the inspirations from Tolkien or whatever. Um, yeah. So Sigurd's father, Sigmund, was a famous warrior, kind of like Hurin, um, but he was killed in battle. Sigurd grew up seeking revenge for his father and ended up with the sword Graham, which was forged by the famous smith Regan, akin to Ale in the Silmarillion. Um, Ale. And, yeah, and he used that sword to slay the dragon Fafnir, kind of like Glaurung, by hiding in a ditch and waiting for the dragon to step over it. So that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, is it cowardly or is it smart? Smart, I would say. It's like a tornado. You don't want. You got to get in a ditch yeah. and stab the tornado. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Tolkien may have also taken inspiration from the Lay of Oedipus, where I know that's a funny word, where Turin. It's a Greek uh, lay where Turin, much like Oedipus, was taken from his parents at a young age, and he ends up marrying his sister, whom he had never met nor seen. Dang. And Oedipus marries his mother, who he had never known. Wait. Wait, who married their sister? Turin. Oh, I thought you were saying Oedipus married his sister no. and his mom. And I was like, that's unacceptable. Yeah. If you, I understand, like, you've never met. Fool me once. Yeah. Shame on me. <laughs> Fool me, Fool me tw- twice. Double shame on me. Fool me can't get fooled again. Yeah. That's a George Bush quote. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Oedipus is like a Greek legend. I think, it was, I don't really, it might have been written by like Homer, one of those Greek authors. You Probably know. some guy. Um, but that's like a famous thing, like the uh, the Oedipus complex is when mm-hmm. people are attracted to their mothers. Um, Without even knowing it. Isn't that also a Freudian? Yeah, uh, Sigmund Freud. <laughs> Sigmund Freud. Freud. Freudism. I don't know, whatever. Um, in, the Finnish, in the Finnish legend, the Kalevala, which Tolkien has translated into English, and you can buy his own version of it, um, which I plan on doing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the hero... <laughs> <laughs> which I plan on doing. <laughs> no, because that's a really good story. Yeah, I, I want to okay. read it. Give us um, an update when you get it. Yeah. So the the hero's you. name is Kalervo, and his tribe is killed by his uncle, which is kind of a similarity to another uh, legend that I'll be giving. Um, and he is separated from his family. He ends up as a slave, but uses magic to kill his masters and returns to his tribe and seduces a woman who is actually his long-lost sister. Oh. <laughs> when they discover this, she commits... You had me in the first yeah, half. <laughs> she commits suicide, and he vows to slay his enemies with a magic broadsword and then kills himself with the sword. And you guys, if you guys have never heard of the story of Turin, you'll see where all these connect. I was going to say, it sounds a little familiar. Yeah. It sounds a little familiar. You'll see where all, they all connect uh, afterwards. Um, <laughs> uh, in the legends of King Arthur... One of the knights Woo-hoo! of the, one of the knights of the round table, Balin, which is also the same name as one of the dwarves, yeah. uh, possessed a magic sword which made him cursed to slay his own brother. He ends up killing a king and destroying his castle, kind of like how Turin kills an Easterling named Brada, and he ruins his household. Yeah. And he also does kill his brother, who is laid in the same grave as he is, and then marries his sister and marries his brother. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, then finally, this isn't one that has been like confirmed or anything. This is one I just thought of because mm-hmm. I thought it was very similar. 
Okay. Um, Laid on us, Grant. Yeah, and it it could be because Tolkien was very influenced by Norse legends, and this is sort of a Norse legend, and it's the story of Amleth, which has been popularized by Shakespeare in the play Hamlet. It's it's just the more modernized version of Amleth, but Amleth was originally like a Norse epic or like a Viking epic. Yes, Um, sir. And it's a story of revenge where Amleth's father is a king and he is a prince. And his father is killed by his uncle and he's taken away to, um, Amleth is taken away to a foreign land where he lives as a Viking and he becomes a feared warrior. Later, he left that land to exact revenge on his father's killer, his uncle, and is seduced by his mother, Gudrun, who mm. does not recognize him. Okay, so, lay off the incest, Grant. Yeah, there's a lot of incest. I'm just kidding. Um, bring, it, bring it on. Yeah, so, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of inspiration from mythology and legends, and uh, obviously Torin has a lot of names. So you know, that's, that's all I got for him. If you dig around mythology and like Greek things enough, you'll find lots of incest. Yeah, that's true. Oh, also, just a little fact. I feel like this is probably going to be overlooked, but Torin had dark hair. Okay. And, and that was it. Okay. That's why he, I called him goth earlier. Oh, yeah. And it's also, he's just a sad guy. Yeah, kind of, pretty much. Yeah. So, take it away, Jay. What do you got? Well, I was, oh. I was, <laughs> obviously, we're going to start at the beginning. Right. Well, just a little bit after the beginning. Oh. He was born. Yeah. Obviously, Grant told a lot about, about, about his dad, Hurin. Um, uh, and... So we're going to start out with, uh, did you mention his sister at all? Did you say? No. Okay, well, here's a news flash. He had a sister. Um, and he had a younger sister named Urwin. Uh, U-R-W-E-N. Mm-hmm. Lots of wins or ins in the uh, Turin family. Yeah. And what was her nickname? Uh, Lalieth. Yeah. Did I say it right? That's pretty close, yeah. Lalieth. Um, everyone called her that because she laughed all the time. She's, ha, ha, ha. She's so funny. Ha, ha, ha. Um, but she was, Erwin was loved more than Turin, uh, because Turin was just a goth teen who just hung out in his room. Yeah, even as a little kid. He just hung hung out in his room, didn't do much. Um, it's because he didn't speak often and seemed older than his years because he was just a quiet guy. But, uh, the very first big tragedy in Turin's life is Erwin died. Dang. Uh, and she died in childhood because of a plague. So I'm going to quick read. Uh, from that two parts of that let me just get to it in the book uh the book i'm referencing i don't know yeah both grant and i are both going to be reading out of uh the children of hurin and the yeah. Silmarillion. are you reading the Silmarillion? um i was going to but i found everything i needed out of the children of hurin so okay but well it, yeah works. there's there's a standalone book children of hurin but there's also a chapter in the Silmarillion called turin trambar right yeah or is it yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. yeah, it's something like that. But it goes over the book is just like an extended version of it. Yeah, the that good old Christopher came out the, with the part in, um, the part in the Silmarillion is just basically like a shortened version of it. Um, and then the Children of Horn is like the actual story with every, yeah. everything in it. Yeah, but so uh, this is just about uh, Urwen. Uh, it says her hair was like yellow lilies in the grass as she ran in the fields, and her laughter was like the sound of mer. Of the merry stream that came singing out of the hills past the walls of her father's house. Nen Lalieth it, it was named, and after it, all the people of the household called the child Lalieth, and their hearts were glad when she was among them. 
but Turin was loved less than she. He was dark-haired, as his mother, like Grant said, um, and promised to be like her in mood also, for he was not he was not merry and spoke little, though he learned to speak early and ever seemed older than his years. So, Orin and Turin are like complete opposites of each other. Orin's yeah, just like I would say Orwin's probably like her father. Her father was more... Um, what do you? What would you call it? Outgoing. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. Just a optimistic guy. Yeah. Glass half full. Yeah. Or glass all the way full. Yeah. Why not? Glass overflowing. There you go. I like that. Okay. So this is a little bit later in the chapter. It says, "But the year, but before the year was out, the truth of his father's words were shown. For the evil breath came to Dorlomin. Dorlomin. Yeah. And Turin took sick and lay long in fever, uh, in dark dream. When he was and when he was healed, for such was his fate and the strength of life that was in him, he asked for Lilith. But the nurse answered, Speak no more of Lilith, son of Hurin, but of your sister Orwin. You must ask tidings of your mother. And when Morwin came to him, Torin said to her, I am no longer sick, and I wish to see Orwin, but why must I not say Lilith anymore? Because Orwin is dead, and laughter is stilled in this house, she answered. But you live, son of Morwin, and so does the enemy who has done this to us uh so that was probably the last time that uh torin or torin no longer heard laughter then or in his heart there was no longer any laughter yeah um so yeah that was like this is what set off the whole thing i mean there was uh it was kind of referenced in what i just read but something happened with his dad and which i'll talk about a little bit later but um yeah, his sister dying kind of was like, okay, let's kind get of on, downer. let's get on this roller coaster and ride it, and it's only downhill from here. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Torin, uh, he did. There was a kind of a light at the end tunnel. He did be- become friends with some dude named Sador. Yeah. Um, and Sador kind of helped him through uh, his uh, mourning loss of his sister. So this is just a little bit further down the page of what I just read. But Torn wept bitterly at l- night alone, though to Morwen he never again spoke the name of his sister. To one friend only he turned at the time, and to him he spoke of his sorrows in the emptiness of his house. This friend was named Sador, the houseman in the service of Hurin. He was lame and of small account. He had been a woodman, and by ill luck or mishandling of his axe, he had hewn his right foot, and the footless leg had shrunken. And Torin called him Labadal, uh, which is Hoppafoot. Though it did not displease Sador, for it was given in pity, not in scorn. Hop a foot. Yeah, hop a foot. So yeah, so he he just named his new friend because he only had one leg. Hop a foot. <laughs> that's honestly, that's kind of edgy. Yeah, he was just sad, you know. But that's kind of I don't know. He's like Sador was like, oh, it's chill because it's out of pity and not. But hop a foot isn't like a pitiful name. That I think if. If I if I only had one leg or one foot, and some like and I was like an older guy and some little kid called me Hop a Foot, I'd be like that's that's kind of funny. I kinda, yeah, I kind of deserve that. But <laughs> but Sador did not think it was funny because he thought it, he saw it because uh, Torin was not a funny guy. He just wanted him to be happy. It was out of pity, so he went by Labadal, which means Hop a Foot. Um, on the morning of Torin's eighteenth birthday. Or eighth, oh. sorry. I was 18th. like, whoa. Sorry, eighth birthday. I read that wrong. His father gave him elf rot, an elf rot knife, but he gave it to Sador because he likes Sador. That's so nice. Here you go. That's very nice. Um, 
but moving on to Turin's father, Hurin, uh, yeah. he fought in the Nirnith Arnordiad, which... Uh, Big that's battle. A, Big battle. Was that the Battle of Sudden Flame? Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, because of what I'm going to read. But, um... <laughs> yes. Yeah, so his dad, his father, his dad, same thing, um, <laughs> was pretty valiant in this battle. Yeah. And, um... Uh, but this is just like the second thing that sets off Turin's sad roller coaster. So when the battle, so the uh, if you want to hear more about it, we talk about the near Nights and Rediad in our dragons episode. Yeah, but I'm uh, sure we talk a little bit about it in other episodes too, but mostly the dragon one. Yeah, yeah. But so uh, the elves and men lost the battle, but um, tragic. Yeah, but Hurin and Hur who was. H O U R, not yeah. Hor. Hor. Can I say that? Should I bleep that out? Hurin and Hur gathered all the remaining men of the house of Hador, and they took a standing fight. Standing, they took a stand fighting off the orcs, allowing Turgon to escape because they were like, they were retreating, and they're like, we'll fight, we'll take a stand so Turgon can escape. Yeah. And then that's a whole story in itself. Yeah, because in Turgon, it was kind of prophesied that he was like the last hope of the Noldor, so everyone wanted him to escape. Yeah. So uh, allowing Turgon to escape. Step by step, the army of Morgoth pushed, back, pushed them back to the Fen of the Shrek. Sirek, not Shrek. Shrek. <laughs> yeah, Shrek Swamp. <laughs> pushed them back to Shrek Swamp. Yeah. Uh, they stepped back until the river Rivil was in front of them. And they did not take one step back. They kept on fighting until dusk when Hura was slain. Now only Hurin was left. And I'm going to read what happened to Hurin. Which is kind of B.A., dude. B.A., yeah? B.A. Bah. Bah. It's kind of goaded. <laughs> Hurin's kind of goaded for this. He's kind of... Honestly, he kind of... He kind of ate and left no crumbs. Yeah. Well, listen up, kids. You're going to hear <laughs> Hurin eat. <laughs> the goat's about to eat. Last, <laughs> sorry, it's okay. Grant. Go ahead, go ahead. Last of all, Hurin stood alone. Then he cast aside his shield and welded. Oh, by the way, I'm reading from the Silmarillion. Yes. Uh, then he cast aside his shield and welded an axe two-handed, and it, and it is sung that the axe smoked the back the black b- blood of the troll guard of Gothmog until it withered. And each time that he slew, Hurin cried, "Auru intuvia, intulva." Day shall come again. Seventy times he uttered that cry, but they took him at last by the command of Morgoth for the at last alive by the command of Orgoth. For the orcs grappled with him with their hands, which uh, clung to him still though he hewed off their arms, and ever their numbers were renewed, until at last he fell buried beneath them. Then Gothmog bound him and dragged him to Angbad with mockery. Thus ended the Nirnith or Nordiad as the sun went down beyond the sea. Night fell in the Hithlum, and there came a great storm of wind out of the west. Yeah, so he killed 70 orcs and trolls. Yeah. What, what did he do? Dual wield axes? Is that no, what he had said? one axe. One two, axe. Two oh, handed two one axe. And every time he killed, he said that thing. They shall come again. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, it took Gothmog, which is a Balrog. Yeah. It took a Balrog to finally capture him. Yeah. That's insane. That's in Yeah. Uh, props to Hurin, dude. Props to Hurin, legendary yeah. warrior. Yeah. So, after Hurin was captured in the near Nith or Nordiad, Turin remained with his mother Morwen, uh, who hid from the Easternlings, from the Easternlings that Morgoth had sent to Hithlum, fearing that they would kill Turin or enslave him. Unknown to Turin at the time, Morgoth had placed a curse on all of Hurin's family. 
Dang. Uh, and I think I pass it to you, Grant. Yeah, I think you do. Part. So yeah. gr- here comes Grant with the next part. Uh, so here comes me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Torin, uh, he is sent south to Doriath um, with two, uh, what, what would you call them, like servants yeah. of Horin's household. Um, and then Morwen stays behind. And Morwen is pregnant. What? With Horin's child. What? Um, and it was like right before he went away to the war. Dang. Um, and yeah, so Torin was like, I don't know how old he was. <laughs> Eight or something like that. He'd have to be older than eight. Or no, he was eight nine. He was eight nine. or nine. <laughs> yeah, eight and a half. Now I'm looking. At, I've been looking at my notes. He was nine. He was eight and three quarters. Uh, but yeah, so he goes south to Doriath, which is the woodland realm of the Sindar elves, ruled by King Thingol, which we've talked a lot about. Thingol. Um. So yeah, let me let me read a little passage for you guys. Um, Let's go. This is like one of my favorite stories, so I'm gonna try and make it really cool. Uh, I will. It should already be cool. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but Grant's gonna make it cooler. I'm gonna make it really cool. Cooler. Okay. Page eighty in the children. We can call board. Grant Coleman because he's making it cooler. That's awesome. Thanks. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so this is the beginning of chapter five of the Children of Horan, Torin, and Doriath. In the years of his childhood in the kingdom of Doriath, Torin was watched over by Melian though he saw her seldom. But there was a maiden named Nellis who lived in the woods, and at Melian's bidding she would follow Turin if he strayed in the forest, and often she met him there, as if it were by chance. Then they played together, or walked hand in hand, for he grew swiftly, whereas she seemed no more than a maiden of his own age, and was so in, all, in her heart for all her elven years. From Nellis, Turin learned much concerning the ways and wild things in Doriath, and she taught him to speak the Sindarin tongue after the manner of the ancient realm, older and more courteous and richer in beautiful words. Thus for a little while his mood was lightened until he fell again under shadow, and that friendship passed like a morning of spring. For Nellis did not go to Menegroth and was unwilling ever to walk under roofs of stone, so that as Turin's boyhood passed and he turned his thoughts to deeds of men, he saw her less and less often, and at last called for her no more. But she watched over him still, though now she remained hidden. Nine years Torn dwelt in the halls of Menegroth. His heart and thought turned ever to his own kin, and at times he had tidings of them for his own comfort. For Thingol sent messengers to Morwen as often as he might, and she sent back words for her son. Thus Torn heard that Morwen's plight was eased, and that his sister Nienor grew in beauty, a flower in the grey north. And Turin grew in stature until he became tall among men, and surpassed that of the elves in Doriath, and his strength and hardihood were renowned in the realm of Thingol. In those years he learned much lore, hearing eagerly the histories of ancient days, and great deeds of old, and he became thoughtful and sparing in speech. Often Beleg Strongbow came to Menegroth to seek him, and led him far afield, teaching him woodcraft and archery, and, which he had liked more, the handling of swords. But in crafts of making he had less skill, for he was slow to learn his own strength, and often marred what he made with some sudden stroke. In other matters also it seemed that fortune was unfriendly to him, so that often what he designed went awry, and what he desired he did not gain. Neither did he win friendship easily, for he was not merry and laughed seldom, and a shadow lay on his youth. Nonetheless he was held in love and esteem by those who knew him well, and he had honor as the fosterling of the king." So Turin was um, basically adopted by Thingol when he entered into Doriath because Hurin was held in high esteem. Mm-hmm. So Thingol was like, yeah, I'll, I'll take you in. For real, for real, man. Yeah, for real, for real. Um, 
Yeah, so Turin was nine years old when he escaped to Doriath, and then another nine years went by, so he was 18, and he grew into a man. And he, a really tall dude, I guess. Yeah. Really tall, black-haired goth, man. you know, really edgy. Um, and then, yeah, his, his mom, of course, uh, during that time gave birth to his younger sister, Neonor, who is nine years younger than him. Um, and so he had never seen Neonor. That, let's make that clear. Oh, no. Never seen her before. Oh, no. Um, Not good. And so Turin was kind of befriended by this uh, maiden named Nellis, uh, who was sent by Melian, the queen of uh, Thingol and Doriath, to kind of teach him the ways of the elves. And then also he was befriended when he got a little older by Beleg, who was a very um, uh, renowned elf who was kind of like the guardian of the forest. Um, he would often march, or he would go on the marches of Doriath, like the on the borders and hunt orcs. So yeah. he's kind of BA as well. Yeah. Um, in the halls of Menegroth, which is like kind of the city of Doriath, Turin was fostered by Thingol, um, and he kind of became unofficial royalty. Like I said, Hurin was held in high esteem, so Turin was as well. And... Um, a lot of messengers were sent back to Morwen, um, and some messengers went to Morwen to uh, have her come back and stay in Doriath, but she declined every time, which made uh, Torin a little sad. Yeah. You know. Um, and like I said, in Doriath, uh, Torin learned a lot of different skills, a lot of woodcraft, archery, swordsmanship, stuff like that. And then when he got older, he started to join Beleg on the marches of Doriath to hunt orcs. Um and during his time on the marches, Turin wore the dragon helm of Dor Loman, which was his father's and his uh, father's like ancestors um, back a few generations. Um, and it was like a legendary helmet that had like the shape of Glaurung the dragon on it. And it was forged by the dwarves um, of Belagost, who could withstand fire easily. And they wore that helm kind of as a symbol of like they were the ones who were able to stab Glaurung in that battle. Yeah. Um, when Glaurung first came out, you can see it on the cover of the children. Who are, yeah, it's 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 on the it's cover. It's a pretty cool helmet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, that helmet was sent to him by his mother just to kind of comfort him and just to kind of say like, "Your father's with you. We're with you, and you have this helmet." And the helmet was said like it was said when you wore the helmet, no weapon could touch you. So that's what he wore when he went to the marches with Beleg and hunted orcs. Um. And one day, returning from his time out in the marches after a long time, um, Turin showed up to Menegroth uh, just as a council was uh, taking place. Um, and he was kind of uh, un- unkempt and dirty, and his hair was all over the place. And uh, he unknowingly took the seat of Cyros, uh, who was a member. He was an elf. He was a member of the Council of Thingol, and he was a friend of Dairon. Um I think we've we've had a, a episode about Baron and Luthien, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dairon was the kind of like the first elf to be in love with Luthien before Baron, so he was jealous of Baron. And kind of in the same way, Cyros was jealous of Turin. So, you know, Cyros and Dairon, they're best friends, and they keep getting jealous of other people, of men. Yeah. Um, but he was jealous that such high honor was given just to a, a mortal, a man. 
And so when Cyrus arrived for the council and he saw that Turin took his place, he took it as like a threat, like a passive-aggressive threat. And then Cyrus started to taunt Turin throughout the night, and he called him the wild man of the woods, like I was saying. And he said that if men of Dor Loman looked like this, then surely the women were like animals and that they ran only clad in their hair. Um, and this made Torin mad, of course. Uh, <laughs> and mm-hmm. he threw a goblet, which is just a cup, if you guys know what that is. Um, he threw a goblet at Cyros, which struck him on the head, and it or hurt him. It hurt him pretty bad. He got hurt, he got hurt in the head. But the next day, Torin uh, was walking out in the woods, and Cyros waylaid him, and he challenged him to a sword fight. He said, uh, put up your fisticuffs. <laughs> um, but Torin, of course, was very strong, and he was very tall, and Cyros was kind of a lesser elf. And so Torin was very strong, much much more stronger than him, and he won against him, even though Cyrus kind of ambushed him. And this is where it gets weird a little bit, but Turin stripped Cyrus naked. <laughs> and then he told him to run like an animal. It was kind of like a play on like what Cyrus told him the night before, that uh, the women in his family were like animals that were naked. Yeah. Um, so Cyrus <laughs> ran through the woods naked because Turin was chasing after him with his sword. And Cyrus was uh, terrified, and he wasn't looking where he was going, and he came to the edge of a ravine, and he tried jumping it to get away from Torin, but there was no way he could have made it, and he fell in, and he died on the rocks below. Um, and then Torin fled the scene because he was too proud to come back to Menegroth and face the judgment for accidentally killing someone. Mm-hmm. Um and then that's when he called himself Nathan, which means the wronged, because he knew it wasn't his fault. Well, it was a little bit, but Cyrus had started it. Mm-hmm. And then, so he called himself the wronged, and then he didn't think that Thingol or any uh, anyone else would forgive him, so uh, he left Doriath altogether, and then he left, uh, well, yeah, he left Doriath, and he came to the west a little bit. So now that m- brings me to the next section which is where I'm going to read another uh, little, what do, you, what do you call them, passage? Yeah. 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 So now this is from uh, page 99 of, this is like right at the beginning. I keep flipping way past it. Holy crap. Uh, this is at the beginning of another chapter. I think the next chapter. Yeah, chapter six, Turin Among the Outlaws. Um, but it's like the second page of that chapter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so, uh, yeah, so he comes to the edges of Doriath and, um, and then he, yeah, he's just walking through the woods and then there's some outlaws. Um, and this is what it says about the outlaws. Thus, they were soon aware of Turin when he strayed into their haunts. They trailed him and they drew a ring about him so that suddenly as he came out into a glade beside a stream, he found himself within a circle of men with bent bows and drawn swords. Then Turin halted but he showed no fear. Who are you? He said. I thought that only orcs waylaid men, but I see that I am mistaken. You may room the mistake, said Forweg, who was the leader. I'll just make that clear. He was the leader of the outlaws. For these are our haunts, and my men do not allow other men to walk in them. We take their lives as forfeit unless they can ransom them. Then Turin laughed grimly. What's a grim laugh, Jay? (laughs) I don't know how to... It's hard to do... (laughs) Yeah, I'd probably like that. <laughs> like an evil laugh. <laughs> you will get no ransom from me. An outcast and an outlaw. You may search me when I am dead, but it may cost you dearly to prove my words true. 
many of you are likely to die first. Nonetheless, 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 his death seemed near, for many arrows were notched to the string, waiting for the word of the captain, and though Torin wore elven mail under his gray tunic and cloak, some would find a deadly mark. None of his enemies stood within reach of a leap with drawn sword, but suddenly Torin stooped for he had espied some stones at the stream's edge before his feet. At that moment, an outlaw, angered by his proud words, let fly a shaft aimed at his face, but it passed over him, and he sprang up again like a bowstring released, and cast a stone at the bowman with great force and true aim, and he fell to the ground with a broken skull. I might be of more service to you alive in the place of that luckless man, said Torin, and turning to Forweg, he said, If you are the captain here, you should not allow your men to shoot without command. I do not, said Forweg but he has been rebuked swiftly enough. I will take you in his stead if you will heed my words better. I will, said Torin, as long as you are a captain and in all that belongs to a captain. But the choice of a new man to a fellowship is not his alone. I judge. All voices should be heard. Are there any here who do not welcome me? Then two of the outlaws cried out against him, and one was a friend of the fallen man. Allred was his name. A strange way to gain entry to a fellowship, he said the slain of one of our best men. Not unchallenged, said Turin, but come then, I will endure you both together, with weapons or with strength alone. Then you shall see I am fit to replace one of your best men, and if there are bows in this test, I must have one too. Then he strode towards them, but Allred gave back and would not fight. The other threw down his bow and walked up to meet Turin. This man was Androg of Dor Loman. He stood before Turin and looked him up and down. Nay, he said at length, shaking his head. He was a horse, by the way. Um, <laughs> I am not a chicken, heart. Oh, I guess he was a chicken. As men know, but I am not your match. There is none here, I think. You may join us for my part, but there is a strange light in your eyes. You are a dangerous man. What is your name? Nathan, the wronged, I call myself, said Turin. And Nathan, he was afterwards called by the outlaws. But though he claimed to have suffered injustice, and to any who claimed the like he had ever lent too ready an ear, no more would be he reveal concerning his life or his home. Yet they saw that he had fallen from a high state, and that he had, though he had nothing but his arms, those were made by elven smiths. He soon won their praise, for he was strong and valiant, and he had more skill in the woods than they, and they trusted him, for he was not greedy, and took little thought for himself. But they feared him, because of his sudden anger, which they seldom understood." So that was a long passage, but it kind of That's okay. it we kind got, of got the gist of everything. We got Nate now. Yeah. His name's Nate. We got Nate Man. Um, yeah, so he joins the uh, outlaws, calls himself Nathan. He kills one of the guys who shot an arrow at him, and so in that way he kind of proved himself worthy to join them. And so now he's an outlaw. He was royalty at outlaw. one point, but now he's an outlaw. Wow. Um, it's kind of like some other major character in Lord of the Rings who was royalty and is an outlaw and is going to be royalty again. Whoa, that's crazy, man. But is Turin going to be royalty again? I don't know yet. I don't know. But, um, yeah, so the the group of outlaws that was trailing him, or like that, I guess he walked into their um, their region, I guess. Yeah. They were known as the Gowerwife, which were the wolf folk, because they, they, uh, they stole from many people and orcs and they hunted them like wolves. Yeah. So that's pretty sick name yeah, kind of cool folk. kind of cool um yeah so Turin lived with the outlaws for a little bit and he kind of grew in skill and everyone started to like him because he wasn't greedy or anything um and uh one day while he was uh you know out 
Outlawn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Torn went search for the Outlaws leader, Forweg, and he discovered a woman running wildly away. Mm. Um, he set his sword to the first thing that came following her, and he slew Forweg by accident, believing him to be an orc that was chasing the woman. Because why would Forweg be chasing her? Um, then uh, he was made the leader of the Gowerwife by right because he killed Forweg, and he decided that they should no longer raid or attack men because that's what Forweg and Androg were doing as they were attacking men and they were planning on um, non-consensual oh, uh, no. sex with that woman is basically where it was going. Well, so that was a good decision by him. Yeah, good. That was good. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so then uh, he decided they should no longer attack men but just orcs because men are having enough problems. So, yeah. um, and then they started to move a little further south away from Doriath and away from the homes of men. Um, but there was a large band of orcs that was trailing the Gowerwife and Turin, and they had plunder from the men that the Gowerwife could have raided. Um, so Turin and another spy, or another went to spy on them and to steal from them. And in the meantime, he left Androg, one of the other outlaws, in charge of the outlaws. Um, Androg wasn't a very trustworthy person. He was kind of he was kind of a bad apple. Um, yeah. And so he was left in charge of the outlaws while Torin was away. And um, so, yeah, while Torin was out spying on the orcs, Beleg, his old friend from Doriath, he showed up bringing a message from Thingol and Melian pardoning him for the death of Cyrus because the truth came out. Oh, no. And the truth will set you free. Yes, sir. <laughs> so it was found out that uh, Turin was not guilty for the death of Cyrus because Cyrus provoked it all. Um, so Beleg was sent to find his friend and tell him that uh, he was pardoned and he can come back to Doriath now. Um, but when Turin returned, he found that uh, Beleg was bound up by Androg because Androg did not like elves and he did not trust him. Um, but then Beleg was like, "Hey, you need to you need to free my friend. This is my friend. The that's elf. my friend. Hey, it's my friend." Um, and then Beleg gave him the message and all this sort of stuff. But uh, Torn was like, mm, "I don't think so. I'm gonna decline." I kind of like because he was here. he was pretty proud. Mm-hmm. He was very proud, and he did not want to face the judgment, even though it had already passed, and he could come back free to Doriath, but he didn't want to because he was starting to make a name for himself with the outlaws. Yeah. Um, so he was becoming even more prideful and thinking about what he could do. Um, but yeah, so Beleg was saying he left and he said he could be found on the marches of Doriath. Um, that's where he'll be. And then if he ever wanted to join him and then Turin, not knowing his future, he looked ahead in the distance and he saw a large hill far away and he told Beleg that he could be found over there and he pointed towards it <laughs> um and wow, uh yeah so because of the orcs in that region that were starting to get a lot more wild and crazy uh Turin ended up taking the Gowerwife to a place of strength where or he he went to look for a place of strength where they could defend themselves against the orcs so he went a little further south from where they were and went on and so that's where i will end my little section and hand it off to jay okay well before i pick it up we're gonna leave it on the ground for a second to do an ad yeah Hey everyone, have you been wondering where you can see the behind the scenes of this podcast or correct us when we inevitably get something wrong on the podcast? Well, I'm here to let you know. 
You can find us on Instagram at exploringmiddle__earth or on Twitter at expmiddleearth. If you don't want to look those up, links to both of those will be in the show notes. Welcome back. Welcome. From that ad. Okay, so I'm going to pick up what Grant set down. Yeah. Uh, So... uh, Grant left off. Bella came and was like, hey, bada, bada, bada. And he's like, oh, you're fine hey, now. Bada, bada. Like, I'm not going to go back. <laughs> so, um, uh, Bella, Beleg left and returned to Doriath. And um, Turin's band just kept hopping around and doing stuff, you know, not attacking people, just orcs. Yeah. And um, Turin's band came upon some petty dwarves. Um, and, uh, if you remember from last episode or dwarves episode, petty dwarves weren't just like regular dwarves. They were kind of, they were smaller and, uh, the, uh, people thought they were, or they were hunted because they thought they were like animals or like orcs, Yeah, but they weren't. So I'm going to read, um, a passage about, uh, when the dwarves are found. Let me see where this is. Or when Turin's band attacks the dwarves. Okay. And you'll recognize the name from last episode. Suddenly, Watchmen gave a call, and leaping up, they saw three hooded shapes, gray clad, going stealthily among the stones. They were burdened each with great sack, but they went swiftly for all that. They had big sacks. So, speaking yes, of big did. sacks, um, in our last episode, we put up a poll of which race of middle earth is most well endowed so go vote on that um but just you know the petty dwarfs were burdened with great sacks yes um Torin cried to them to halt and the man ran out on them like hounds but they held on their way and although androg shot androg shot at them two vanished in the dusk one lagged behind being slower or more heavily burdened and soon and he was soon seized and thrown down uh and held by many hard hands though he struggled a bit like a beast but Torin came and rebuked his men what have you there he said what need be so fierce is it old or it is old and small what harm is it it bites said androg nursing a bleeding hand it is an orc or of orc kind or of orc kin kill it it deserves no less for cheating our hope said another who had taken the sack Ooh. hey there <laughs> there is nothing here but roots and small stones uh, nay, said Torin. it is bearded. It is only a dwarf, I guess. Let him speak. It's so crazy how everyone just thinks they're animals. Yeah. Uh, and then the very next sentence. Uh, so it was that meme came to the tale of the children of Hurin. So uh, this dwarf that they have is meme. meme. Petty dwarf. Meme. Meme. Um, meme. Meme. So uh, meme, they were like, ah, oh, shoot, we thought you were animals or orcs. And... <laughs> They were like, well, since we have you captured, take us to your house. So Meme had to uh, take him to the halls of Amon Ruth. Rude. Ruth. Ruth. With his company, while Turin promised to repay Meme for the accidental death of his son, Kim. Kim. Kim, uh, which is one of the two dwarfs that was killed there. (laughs) So at. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay, Grant. It's sad, man. It's sad. Turin just can't do anything right. I'm just making noises. So at Doriath, Beleg asked uh, to be able to join his friend, 
uh, single allowed this and also gave him the sword of Anglachel. Yeah. And Thingol's wife, Melian, gave him Lembas. Mm, Lembas. Mm, Lembas. Belag returned to Turin. Beleg, not Belag. <laughs> Beleg returned to Turin that winter, healing those of the band that had become sick with cold. Uh, and they became sick with cold, not with the cold. Oh, they didn't have cold. With cold. Yeah. Yeah, colds weren't invented back then. Yeah. It was just the plague, mm-hmm. pretty much. So Beleg brought with him the dragon helm after Turin agreed uh, to take the dragon helm. In the area around Amonruth became known as Dor Quarthol. Quarthol, the land of bow and helm. Bow. (laughs) Bow. Bow. Take a bow. The land of bow and helm. Since Beleg was known as a mighty bowman, there Torin took the name Gorthol, uh, the dread helm. Yeah. Many warriors joined them, and much of the west of Beleriand was freed from the evil for a while. Meme, however, was greatly jealous of Beleg's friendship with Turin. So, yeah, so Turin just kills Meme's son and some other guy. And then it's like, okay, my bad. I'm so sorry. Take us to your house. And so Meme, t- well, they're halls. <laughs> so Meme's like, okay, I guess I have to. He's like, in the whole way, he's like, dude, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I'm also going to take over your uh, halls. And <laughs> Meme's like, okay. And then Turin. So, like, it's Turin didn't mean to do it, but also he's not being a great guy by just, like, you could have just let him go, let Mim go, but, you know. So, uh, since Mim was wronged and he was jealous of Beleg, eventually Turin was betrayed by Mim. Uh, he w- he lo- Mim allowed a pack of orcs to have information with which they could destroy the company as long as he was allowed to kill Beleg himself. Mm. Turin was captured at the top of Amonruth, and all his men were slain about him. Beleg, Beleg was saved by androg who killed mim with his last action before dying so androg came through he wasn't a great guy but he came through came through and saved beleg beleg then rescued turin from the orcs in the tarnufuin fuin tarnufuin yeah with the help of gwindor uh an escaped slave of morgoth but turin accidentally killed beleg with his sword anglichel for beleg who was trying to cut Turin's bonds was mistaken by Turin as one of the orcs tormenting him. That's so sad. That's so sad. <sighs> Let me see if I can find that quick. Oh, the passage? Yeah, where he kills him because it's probably sad. I will talk while you look. So, uh, Anglical, the sword, is a... Uh, it's a pretty legendary sword. It's uh, I think it, I don't know what Anglical means... Um, but it's, it's made out of meteoric iron and it's like black. So it's like a black iron, iron. It's so like, if you think of like a cast iron pan, that's kind of what it's like. Um, don't talk yet. Oh, I got it. So when you're done, (laughs) let me know. Um, but apparently the sword was said to like, like glow with like a pale fire. So like a white fire kind of like that. So, um. And it, and it, and it was said to kind of possess the spirit of its, Smith, which was Aeol, the Dark Elf. So it's kind of got some magical properties to it. it. It looks like it's got white fire coming around it. And it's a black sword, so meteoric iron. That's kind of cool. Pretty, pretty sick. So that's the sword. There you go. Yes. So this is from the Children of Hurin. So it says, Then Gwyndor roused Turin to aid him in the burial. Oh, wait. <laughs> He's already dead there. Shoot. Huh? Let me go back a paragraph. 
Huh? What? Where the? <laughs> where are we? <laughs> Let me see if I can find it. You start talking. Then Turin was roused into a sudden wakefulness of rage and fear, seeing the seeing a form bending over him in the gloom with a naked blade in hand. He leapt up with great cry, believing that orcs were come again to torment him and grappling with him in the darkness he seized Anglichel and threw slew Beleg Kuthalion uh, thinking him a foe but as he stood finding himself free ready to sell his life dearly against the imagined foes there came a great flash of lightning above them and in its light he looked down on Beleg's face then Turin stood stone still and silent staring at the dreadful death knowing what he had done and so terrible was his face, lit by the lightning that flickered all about them, that Gwyndor cowered under, cowered down upon the ground and dared not to raise his eyes. That's sad. I found it as you were reading it, so I read along with you. Okay, thank you. I'm going to read a quick part of the next one they bury him. Oh. So it says, then Gwyndor, which is what I was originally going to read, thinking oh, it was okay. the, Then Gwyndor roused Turin to aid him in the burial of Belag. And he rose as one that walked in sleep, and together they laid Beleg in a shallow grave and placed him beside Belin Beth Lilthrongding. What? Oh, Belthrongding. Belthrongding. That, that's his bow. His, yeah, his great bow. Thank you, Grant. Yeah. That was made of black yew wood. You wood. Yeah. Uh, but the dread, but the dread sword Anglishell Gwyndor took, saying. Uh, it was better that it should be that it should take vengeance on the servants of Morgoth and lie useless in the earth, and he took also Lembus, the Lembus of Melian, to strengthen them in the wild. Thus ended Belleg Strongbow, truest of friends, greatest in skill of all the, all that harbored in the woods of Beleriand and in the Elder Days, at the hand of him whom he most loved, and the grief was graven on the face of Turin never faded. Dang, that's sad, dude. So sad, so tragic. Yeah, come on, Turin. But Turin... Try to do something happy for once. Yeah. Yeah, come on, Turin. This is probably one of his lowest points. Make me sad, man. Yeah. So we're going to move on to Turin going to Nargothrond uh, with Gwyndor. So uh, Gwyndor then led Turin to Nargothrond, where he had once lived. And in Nargothrond, Turin called himself Aragwyn. Ar- Gar- yeah, Agarwine. Agarwine, son of Urmath. Uh, Sindarin for uh, bloodstained son of ill fate. So yeah. you know he could he could have re- he had a fresh start and he chose the name bloodstained son of ill fate. So obviously he's he's thinking about his friend that he killed. Yeah, because yeah. uh, he wanted he did this because he wanted to escape Morgoth's curse upon his kin. Yeah, he had Anglichtel reformed and named it Gersang. Yeah, Iron of Death. Yeah, that's a sick name. Crazy man. So Findulas, daughter of Ordreth, fell in love with him, but he avoided her because she had previously been beloved by his friend Gwyndor. So he was like, "Uh, this is uh, it's like a love triangle." I thought you were wait, no, it's not a love triangle. No, it only if 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 Turin loved Gwyndor, then it'd be a love triangle. It's like a love seven. Huh? Oh, kind of, yeah, because it's not a full triangle. Love V. Yeah. I love V. Yeah, like I, love yeah v. I don't know why I thought of a <laughs> it seven. It could be a seven if if, if, you Gwen, flip if it. one of them is standing further away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Fendulas is like the center point, and mm-hmm. she loves Turin, and also loves, or at least somewhat loves, not really much anymore, Gwyndor, 
and then Gwyndor loves her Fendulas, and then Torin sort of is like she's a friend. <laughs> yeah. So that's what it is. She's a friend, but so um, Torin declined to tell her his name, so that she called him Thurin, like Grant said, the secret. He was also called Andenhelm. Andenhelm. Adonathel. Adonathel. It is, <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> this is throwing me off because there's no TH, but the DH is. Yeah. Th- DH in Elvish is always. Th- Ad- well, it's, it's, not, it's not like a. Um, it's more of like a. How would you say it? It's like the TH in that. So yeah. it's more of like a. The Adonathel. That's mm-hmm. what it's supposed to be like. But if you want to say it fast, just Adonathel. Adonathel. Yeah. Uh, which means man elf. Yeah. Uh, because he was like an elf, though he was human. Pretty simple. Uh, Gwyndor later yeah. revealed Turin's true identity identity. <laughs> I don't know. I said, identity <laughs> to Findulas when anger and sadness overtook him, and eventually re- reached Findulas's father, father's or father, King Ordreth. <laughs> when the king found out who he was, Turin became the chief counselor of Ordreth and was extremely influential in Nargathon. So the king's like, whoa, this is Torin, dude. But hey, hey, what? I remember you. Come on, man. Get up here <laughs> and be <laughs> and be and be the chief counselor. Be my best friend. Yeah, be my chief counselor. Please. So he encouraged uh, the Nar or the people in Nargathron, the Nargathrodrim, Nargathrondrim. Yeah. To abandon their practice of secrecy. And they built a great bridge before the gates. So tisk, he's just tisk, trying to help tisk. out. He's trying to help out. But because of his prowess. Uh, with Gurthang, he himself, which is uh, the his sword, yeah. Right before I'd, it just sounded like you were gonna say because of his prowess with his girth, <laughs> huh? Maybe he did. I don't know. He was a man. Who was the most hung character of all time? Turin. Well, could it be Turin because Turin's a man, and I think dwarves are the most hung. Yeah, but like his was even. I guess so. He was like an outlier. He was just yeah. like, I mean, you know, you you've heard about his girth. He was sad, but he was strapped yeah he, <laughs> yeah and it's kind of it's you might be wondering like how can you be so sad when you're like hung like that you know but yeah. you know there's a lot of you know it's just like they're like oh you're so rich how can you be sad oh it, you have a huge schlong how can you be sad yeah you, you know the saying money can't buy happiness yeah. it's like you know having a big dong can't you know it doesn't always make you happy grant and i can attest you know, yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know it makes you happy where it counts but <laughs> Okay, but he himself became known as Mormgil. Mormgil, yeah. Mormgil. Black Sword. Black Sword. Or black or the Black Sword of Nargathron, which yeah. is just like layman's terms. So, <laughs> yeah. Um uh with Ordreth now deep in the council of Turin, the elves of Nargathron marched out of their s- secret city with an army of some thousand of elves Damn. to confront the enemy massing beneath the arid Wethrin, which is the mountains of shadow mm. and the pass of Syrian. So they were driven into the plain of tomb Lahad tomb Helad. Yeah. Uh, and defeated in the battle of tomb Lahad. Only Torin who wore the dragon helm of Dorlomian, uh, was able to survive the hot fiery blasts of Glaron. Then he escaped. There was a desperate attempt to destroy the bridge Turin had ordered to be built for the swifter actions of the army, but it was too well made, and the enemy arrived, and Glaurung destroyed the gate, and the sacking of the once mighty Nargothron began. Dang. So he's, his bridge backfired. They made it too good. 
It was so good that a dragon could walk across it. Yeah. And they they couldn't destroy it before the dragons could get through. Or the dragon, sorry. Yeah. Before the dragon could get through. Just the one. Just the one. So now I'm going to pass it back to Grant for Yay. The, <laughs> the, ver- the end. This is the end. This is the end, everybody. Are you ready? This yeah. is one of the best parts, too. So, Yeah. Um, yeah, so... I'm not going to read a passage right away. I am going to read a passage a little further on because that's like the best part of the story. Okay. Uh, you might know where I'm going with it. <clears throat> so, yeah. So, now um, Nargothrond is destroyed. And um, you said Fenduilus got captured, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, she was captured. But when Turin met Glaurung and Glaurung kind of laid in, in, like, he was, like, laid in a trance. Turin was. Um, Glaurung told... Turin that he could either save Fendulas or his family, Morwen and his sister, in Dor Loman. And he only had he could only do one of those two choices or else the other one, you know, wouldn't happen or something like that. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, it was basically a curse. Um But what Turin didn't know is that his family were actually safe and they were not in Dor Loman because Mormigil, the black sword, made it safe for people to cross the lands now, because there were less orcs. So Morwen and Neonor were actually safe in Doriath, and he didn't know it. But Glaurung made him believe that they were being tortured in Dor Loman still. Um, but then there was also that, or saving Fendulas, who he had grown to love. <clears throat> um, so he was like, well, you know, I, I've kind of just met Fendulas, and I, I miss my mommy. So uh, mm-hmm. he hesitates a little bit, but he decides eventually to go to Dor Loman. Um, and this is when he crosses the lake um what is it called Iluin, i think um but he crosses a lake where uh glaurung the dragon was at one point and um let me see if it, it shows let me let me see if it shows uh, i don't see it um but yeah so he crosses a lake and then that's where his cousin tuor sees him for the first time in his life and he just sees him from across the lake. He's like, who is that man with a fell look on his face and a black sword? That's all. That who happened. is it? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so he goes to the north into Dor Loman and he, he searches for his, his mother and his sister, but he finds that their home is empty. And then so he ends up going to um, uh, the halls of the Easterlings. You remember they took over Dor Loman after the near ninth Arnoidiad. And so there was a woman there. Uh, she was a kinswoman of Morwen. It was, I think it was assumed that it was Torin's aunt or something like that. Or like, it was like Morwen's cousin or something like that. So it was like his second aunt or I don't know, whatever, however that would work. Mm-hmm. Um, and her name was Irene. And uh, she was held there as uh, a slave wife of Brada, who was the leader of the Easterlings in Dor Loman. And she told Torin... Um, that Morwen and Neonor were safe in Doriath because of the prowess of the Black Sword. And so he kind of cursed himself a little bit uh, because he hesitated too much. But um, he was glad that they were safe. But he was like, dang it, I could have gone for Fendua last then. Um, but that made him a little angry. And he ends up sparking a revolt against the Easterlings in Brada's halls. And he kills Brada himself. And however heroic it may have been, Turin accidentally caused the house of Hador, which is his father's house, to be treated more treated, <laughs> to be treated more cruelly than before by the Easterlings because they had revolted. And Irene, um, 
she ends up killing herself because she knows <laughs> she knows Ooh. she knows she's gonna die or get tortured. So she's like, I'm just gonna I'm I'm gonna peace out real quick. Ooh. Um, yeah. So then Torin leaves those lands and he's a little upset at how things went. And then he goes. Now that he knows that his mother and his sister are safe in Doriath, he doesn't even try to look for them. So now he tries to look for Fendulas, um, and he ends up picking up the trail of the orcs that captured her after the Battle of Nargothrond, but he was a little too late. Um, the uh, He ends up coming to the edges of Brethiel, which is a big forest on the ends of Doriath, and it's inhabited by woodsmen. Um and these woodsmen of Brethiel of the house of Haladin told Turin that when they found him, or when they found Turin, that the elf maiden was slain by the orcs when it became apparent to them that the woodsmen would kill them all because they were surrounded by the woodsmen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Turin is led to her death mound and he weeps. Like a sad little emo boy. Um, and then he's later brought back to Brethiel by the woodsmen. Um, their little town is called like Ethel Brandier. Uh, which which basically means like the fences of Brandir, I think. And Brandir is their lord, the woodsman. <clears throat> anyway, so in Brethiel, Turin calls himself Turambar, which means the master of doom. And he was kind of saying, uh, he named himself that because now he was like, you know what? No one else is going to decide my fate. I'm going to be the master of my own doom and I'm going to do what I want. That sort of thing. And he was kind of hoping that it would break the curse of Morgoth on him. And in Brethil, he grew strong again, and he was held in high regard by the woodsmen, but not by their leader, Brandir, who was kind of jealous of him. Everywhere Turin goes, he always gains a lot of respect, but then there's always, like, one person who's jealous of him. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, one day, Turin finds a naked woman. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> uh, and she's lying fast asleep on the mound of Fendulas, where she died. And he woke her up. Um, and she was kind of dumbfounded and, uh, she had to relearn a lot and she couldn't really speak at first. Um, and Torin grew to love her and he named her Niniel, uh, which means tear maiden because she cried a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and she ended up loving her savior Torin and they were wedded. However, uh, this Niniel was the long lost sister of Torin. What? And she had been struck by an enchantment of Glaurung, the dragon, and she fled away from the dragon and ended up in Brethiel, right where Torin would find her. Dang. Crazy how the curse of Morgoth works. Torin vowed not, to, well, he didn't know this, but Torin, <laughs> uh, he didn't know all that she was uh, yeah. his sister. Uh, Torin vowed not to go to war any longer while he was married to Niniel for her comfort because she was a little scared that he would die. Mm-hmm. Um, unless it was that Brethiel and Ethel Brandir was assailed. Uh, and then uh, Niniel conceived a child with Torin. Um, oh, so, so if no. you if you put two and two together, you know what happens there. Um, and we don't want to talk about it. No, uh, don't want to talk we, about it. We don't want to talk about it. Uh, and while Niniel was pregnant, Glaurung came near to Brethiel because he heard of Turin once more, and he prepared to face him head on this time to kill him once and for all. Uh, so he and two others, um, they're kind of the only ones brave enough to come with him, uh, they were to sneak under the cover of night to a gorge of the river Taglin, where Glaurung was most likely, most likely to crawl over to reach Brethiel. Um, one of his companions bailed uh, in the woods, because he was a little scared, and the other was killed by a falling rock in the gorge, leaving 
just Turin to face the dragon, as it was always meant to be. Then, when Glaurung arrived and crawled across the gorge, Torn took his sword Gorthing and stabbed upwards, piercing the belly of the beast. So now I'm going to read the passage, which kind of goes into a little bit of what I was just talking about. And this is page 237 to 238 of the Children of Horan. Okie dokie. <laughs> Okie dokie. Let me get there. Let me get there. I should be more prepared. Like, when I say I'm going to read a passage, I should just have it ready to go. It's okay, Grant. Okay, here we go. So, this is when that one dude gets hit by a rock and dies. <laughs> uh, Great heart, said Turambar. Happy was the choice that took you for a helper. But even as he spoke, a great stone hurtled from above and smote Hunthor on the head, and he fell into the water, and so ended, not the least valiant of the house of Haleth. Then Turambar cried, Alas, it is ill to walk in my shadow. Why did I seek aid? For now you are alone, O master of doom, as you should have known it must be. Now conquer alone. Then he summoned to him all his will and all his hatred of the dragon and his master, and it seemed to him that suddenly he found a strength of heart and of body that he had not known before, and he climbed the cliff from stone to stone and root to root until he seized at last a slender tree that grew a little beneath the lip of the chasm. And though its top was blasted, it still held fast by its roots. And even as he steadied himself in a fork of its bows, the midmost parts of the dragon came above him and swayed down with their weight almost upon his head, ere Glaurung could heave them up. Pale and wrinkled was their underside, and all dank with a gray slime, to which clung all manner of dripping filth. Oh, that sounds gross. And it stank of death. Then Turambar drew the black sword of Beleg and stabbed upwards with all the might of his arm and of his hate, and the deadly blade, long and greedy, went into the belly, even to its hilts. Then Glaurung, feeling his death pang, gave forth a scream, whereat all the woods were shaken, and the watchers at Nengirith were aghast. Turambar reeled as from a blow, and slipped down, and the sword was torn from his grasp, and clave to the belly of the dragon. For Glaurung, in his great spasm, bent up all his shuddering bulk and hurled it over the ravine. And there upon the further shore he writhed, screaming, lashing, and coiling himself in his agony, until he had broken a great space all about him, and lay there at last in a smoke and a ruin, and was still. Dang. Um, Yeah, so, uh, you know, Glaurung gets killed by Turin. And, Mm. yeah. (laughs) Um. So yeah, Glaurung is killed by Turin as it was kind of always meant to be. Um, and Turin kind of climbs up back up over the ravine and uh, he goes to take a sword back from the, which was still stuck in the dragon. And as he pulls it out, a spurt of black blood comes from the dragon from the wound and it stings his hand. It's kind of like, it like burns like acid. And then it causes him to faint because the pain was so great. Um, and then Niniel, of course, she was worried for her husband Turin and she had run away in search of him while he was out looking for the dragon. And by the time she had got to the place where the dragon was, she saw, obviously, the dead dragon. So that's like the biggest thing there. But then she also saw Turin's dead body over by the dragon. Oof. Then she wept and she cried aloud. And this woke Glaurung up. And he was not quite dead yet. And he revealed to Niniel that Turin was her brother. And she was horrified and threw herself over the gorge and killed herself on the rocks below. From the distance, Brandir had watched all of this unfold. And also, Brandir was a little bit jealous that 
uh, Nini like Turin and not him. Yeah. Um, and when Turin had woken, because of course it was just, he just fainted from pain. When he had woken back up, he discovered that his injuries were bandaged and he went looking for Niniel. Uh, but Brandir found him because, like I said, he was right there. And he told Turin all that had happened while he was passed out. And he included the part where Turin was Niniel's brother. Um, or wait. Yeah, Turin was Niniel's brother. Yeah, <laughs> I said that right. Yeah. Uh, and then in his anger, Turin slew Brandir because he thought he was lying. And he slew Brandir with Gorthang, his sword, and he fled. Then Mablung, a warden of Doriath, another elf, and he was probably as famous as Beleg, um, he found Turin because he was searching for him for Thingol to kind of say, like, hey, you're pardoned still. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he, so he found Turin as he was fleeing, and he told him what Brandir had told him, or that what Brandir had told him was true, and that Niniel was his sister. So Turin then took his sword back to Glaurung, and he asked if the sword would be willing to kill him. And it spoke with a cold voice and told him it would. Um, I want to read that part too, actually. Let me find that real quick. Okay. Um, I'll just talk, I guess. Yeah. You know, that kind of reminds me of his Romeo and Juliet when, kind of like backwards, because she's like, because Juliet takes the fake poison and she falls asleep. And then Romeo comes in and is like, oh, shoot, she's dead. I'll kill myself. She kill, he kills himself. And then Juliet's like, oh, shoot. She wakes up. Oh, shoot, he's dead. She kills herself. It's the same thing that Turin did with his sister slash wife. She comes and she's like, "Hey, this guy's my hus my hubby's dead," and he's and so she kills herself and then he wakes up and he's like, "Ah, my wife is dead, who is also now my sister." And she kills or he kills himself. And you know, if you listen to our classical liter or classic literature uh, inspirations episode, you know that Tolkien did not like uh, Shakespeare. But that was just a connection I made, which probably has nothing... Tolkien probably never really made that connection. I found it. Okay. Just in time, because I was running out of things (laughs) to say. (laughs) Um, Okay, so yeah, he comes back to the gorge where Niniel killed herself and where Glaurung was dead. And he drew... And then it says, Then he drew forth his sword and said, Hail, Gorthang, Iron of Death, you alone now remain. But what lord or loyalty do you know, save the hands that wields you? From no blood will you shrink. Will you take Turin to Rambar? Will you slay me swiftly? And from the blade rang a cold voice in answer. Yes, I will drink your blood, that I may forget the blood of Beleg, my master, and the blood of Brandir slain unjustly. I will slay thee swiftly. Then Turin set the hilts upon the ground and cast himself upon the point of Gorthang, and the black blade took his life. Dang. Yeah. So it was a sword that could talk. Talking sword. Yeah. Sounds like a. they should make that for... Oh, I guess they can't make Silmarillion stuff, but they should make a movie out of that. Uh, yeah, it's like I, a buddy cop comedy. Yeah. Uh, Turin and his talking sword. Yeah. <laughs> no, I would really like to see The Children of Horan as a movie, because that would be a really good movie. Yeah. Or miniseries. Or, yeah. Well, I'd rather have it as movies, like a two-part movie or something like that. I guess, yeah. I don't think they should do a trilogy, but they should do a two-part. I was just thinking with the miniseries, you could, it could be super long, so you could have it be in-depth. Well, with, We yeah, could do the whole, true. like, Hurin and then Turin and, yeah, and all that kind that's of stuff. True. Um, 
yeah, so that's the end of Turin, and we don't need to really go any further than wah, that, even wah, though the story wah. still goes on a little bit after that, but that's the end of Turin, and we're just talking about Turin today. So the story guys, goes ever on and on. Yeah, you guys don't need to know about that. So You guys know the end of the story. They save the ring, or they break the ring, and they save the world, and they all go to the Dying Lands. That's the end of the story. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. A little later than that. Yeah. Though, yeah. Um, so we've got some trivia here. Trivia. Classic, classic three questions, you know. Um, so, Jay, do you want to go, do you want to ask me first and then sure. ask you? Or? Okay. Sure. Gotcha. Uh, sorry, of an easy one. Okay. What did Findulas call Turin because she didn't know his name? Thorin. Yes. <laughs> so close to yes, his sir. real name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Uh, what was Anglicel or Gorthing, the sword, made out of? Um, I remember you saying it was like, yeah, black with white flames around it. Yeah. But, ah, shoot. It's not iron. It's it probably some iron. It is it. iron, yeah. Wait, but, is that the answer? Well, that's half of the answer. Iron ore. <laughs> <laughs> the, is ore the other half? No, meteoric no. iron. Meteoric came iron. From a oh, meteor. shoot. I yeah. remember you saying that because you said it had the white flame around it and then meteor. Yeah. If I would have just remembered a little bit later in your sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. I get it. Okay. You ready for your second one? I think. Um, what was Androg's last action before dying? Oh. Oh, this is... On the battle on the hill, right? Mm, I can give you a hint. <laughs> yeah, well, you can't really tell me. Yeah. No, Um. let me see. Let me see. Does Yeah, does he kill... He kills Meme with a bow, right? Yes, kills Meme. Yeah, because it was kind of like a curse where Meme was like, you can't like kill with a bow again because he killed his son, Keem, with a bow, or else you will die by the bow. And then Androg gets killed by a bow right after that. Yeah. So. Oof. But he saved... Belleg. Yeah, yeah. But Torin just turns. Just He's like, oh, like, oh, never mind. I got captured, so yeah. never mind. Um, what was the band of outlaws that Torin joins called? There's two answers that you can go with. See if you can't remember the elvish name. Oh, one starts with a G, doesn't it? Yes. The G one is the only one I remember, but I also don't remember the whole name. Gorth. Is that? Oh, pretty close. Gorth. <laughs> no, that's like the sword gore thing. Uh, Gorthonian. <laughs> no, that's kind of a cool word though. Gorthonian. Um, okay, so I'll give you a hint for the other one that's not elvish. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to do with a pack animal. The wolves? Oh, I remember because you said wolves and I howled. Yeah, so close. You're so close. You just got to add another part to that. The wolves of? No. The wolves. It's not the wolves of anything. It's just wolf. Wolf band. Wolf. Close. Wolf army. No. Wolf crew. <laughs> wolf <laughs> clan. Well, that's kind of cool. No, it's the wolf folk. Wolf folk. I would have eventually gotten there yeah. after a long time. Just, just any sort of group of people yeah. you would have gotten there. <laughs> Wolf buddies, wolf, wolf um, pals, yeah, wolf pack. The uh, the elvish one was the Gowerwife. Gowerwife. Okay, I wouldn't yeah. have gone. At least I remember it started with a G. Yeah, that was pretty good though. You you okay. were you were close with it. Okay. Yeah. This one I say for last because it might be super easy. It might be kind of hard. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Uh, which leg does Sador still have? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? I read. Wait. In the passage, it says which one got cut off. So yeah. which one does he still have? It's a 50-50 chance. Oh, he still has his left one. Yeah. Yeah, because nice. I remember I when you said in the passage it says what one he cut off, I remember 
Um, I remember when you were reading it, you said he, like, by mischance, he cut off his right one. Yeah. And I was, like, trying to imagine, like, if I was chopping wood with an axe, like, how would I hit my right foot? Mm-hmm. Unless I was, like, left-handed or something. I don't know. So that I was trying to imagine that, so I think that's why I remembered it a little bit. My brother hit his left foot with an axe, cut it open. He didn't cut it off. My dad is well. My dad has taken a chainsaw and he's cut his leg up on purpose. <laughs> no, no. What's going on? <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> um, I have a bonus trivia question for you. Okay. And it's pretty hard, but I just want to see if you've known it before any any other sort of thing. Wait. So did you mention it in this episode or no? No. Okay. It's not mentioned anywhere. Oh it's, no. It is technically part of the story of Turin. Well, I have an extra trivia question that I wrote down and I didn't say it, so I was like, oh, I won't ask him that because I didn't say it. But okay. I'll ask yeah, you we'll, that too after we'll this. We'll both do our bonus ones then. Mm-hmm. What is Turin destined to do at the end of all time, at the very end of the world, in the very last battle against Morgoth? Isn't he supposed to come back and slay Gothmog? Or, uh, is he supposed to kill Morgoth? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Nice. He comes That's crazy. He comes back to life at the very last battle of of the world and he kills Morgoth mm. for what for how he cursed his family. Yeah. You know, curses never work out in the end for either side. Curses and purses, tell me what's fuller. Did you make that up? I just did, yeah. Nice, Grant. <laughs> I don't really know how that applies. <laughs> I don't. E- I don't either. But I just thought it was. Kinda- you're either cursed or you're rich, dude. <laughs> if you're not rich, you're cursed. If you and if you're not cursed, you're strapped. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, man. What's your other bonus question? Um, question. Uh, where did Gwyndor take uh, Turin to uh, after he killed Beleg to cry and get over his madness? To cry. Yeah. Well, I know he took him to Nargothron, but... But before that. But before that. Yeah, I was going to say it, and then I didn't, so... Oh, uh... Do you want a hint? Um, no. I'm getting there. Okay. He's getting there. It's, it's, um... Think hard. It's the the pools of Evren. Yes, Grant. Yeah. Woohoo! That's where he meets his cousin, or where he sees, or his cousin sees him. Yeah. Cousin. Yeah. A lot of family stuff going on. A lot of family stuff. Uh, we do we have any Middle Earth current current you know current no, events? No, but here, welcome no? to Middle Earth current events. Uh, welcome. We have no current. We events. have no current. I events. just want to play the um, theme song. I do know that there were two new or three new cast members actually that were added to the Rings Power season two, but mm-hmm. um, season whoa. I feel like that's just too small of an announcement to make, and then by like the next two weeks that pass, when our next episode comes out after this one, there will probably be like more cast members announced or something else that happens. So it's we'll, gotta be. We'll give it a break for today. Well, you know, we'll. We'll let it rest. Yeah, but I just wanted to play that theme music. Yeah. It'd be funny <laughs> if you went back editing and you never added in the theme music. So I wrote I, down the timestamp, <laughs> okay, so I okay. shouldn't forget it. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Um, yeah, so, you know, that's probably one of my favorite stories in all of, like, Middle Earth, Tolkien, yeah, whatever. It's sad. It's a good one, though. It's sad, but it's good. It was so good, it got yeah. its own book. I really do think it should get, like, its own, like, two-part movie or yeah like or like an extended like limited time series you know 
Yeah. Like it could be like one of those like eight or ten episode uh, like series, hour long. Each episode like, hour yeah, long. but like each episode is like an hour long. So or really, an hour and a half. Or two hours. Or eight. Let's get eight three hour movies. But you know like The Hobbit when they were first like pitching it to Warner Bros. It was supposed to be directed by Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo. Which I think would have been pretty cool. But um Peter Jackson's always great anyways. All the time. Uh, other than what happened with The Hobbit. And uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but it was supposed to be a a two-part movie it was just supposed to be like hobbit part one hobbit part two but they wanted to make it a trilogy mm-hmm. oh i had to burp That's because okay. they wanted to make more money classic know, and, and because because they wanted to make it like the lord of the rings you know so that's why they had thorin look more like aragorn than a dwarf mm-hmm. you know because he was supposed to be like the hero like the the king returned to his kingdom sort of thing um but I think if they made The Hobbit as a two-part movie, that would be really good. Like, it'd probably be a lot better. They'd cut out a lot of that weird love triangle between the dwarves and the elves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, if they made, if they made like, a, a, like, a two-part movie about the children of Horan and it was, like, each movie was, like, it, it would have to be a longer movie, but I think people, like, Lord of the Rings fans would love it anyways. Yeah. Um, if they made like each movie like two and a half hours long and it was just a two part of the children of Horan, then I think that would be a pretty good movie. Yeah. Or two movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course they could do extended editions and add a bunch more stuff in there. Yeah. So I would watch the heck of out of it. Out of it. Mm-hmm. So I am excited for all the new movies and shows and whatever they're coming out with. Like I'm still excited for rings of power season two. I'm obviously, I don't, really like where they're going with it but we have expectations we have expectations yeah and like real ones we kind of had expectations for the first season but we know what they're doing yeah we didn't know what they were going to do but now that we know what they're doing we're kind of hoping it gets flipped around a little bit flip the script guys yeah um i know like a lot of their production staff and like directing and whatever has been changed a little bit because they wanted to make a change for season two so maybe it'll go in a good direction mm-hmm. a lot of the behind the scenes pictures i've been seeing are of the stranger that wizard guy who shouts i am good <laughs> i end. forgot about that yeah. i was just thinking about that today <laughs> i am good i have not gone back and watched any classic episodes. classic writing so good um uh he and the two hobbits that are with him or the harfoots uh her feet. Sorry. <laughs> um, they are, it looks like they're shooting a place that looks like a rune. So it's mm. a kind of desert-ish. So, um, so that'll be kind of interesting. We get to explore the lands of rune a little bit. That'll be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I haven't really been seeing much else after that. But yeah, it's, so I'm I'm a little excited about it just because we get to explore new lands. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll just see how it goes. Yeah. Well... Just a reminder, guys, the last episode, we have a poll going. Yes. So go and vote on that, please. Um, that's episode 44, Dud Dwarfs. If you haven't listened to that episode while you're voting, why don't you go click play on that episode? Yeah. Also, this is episode 45. I was just telling Jay, that's not a big milestone, but 45 is a cool number. Yeah. <laughs> it's five away from a milestone. Five away from milestone. So join us for episode 50, a milestone episode. And around... A little bit after episode 50, I think, will be our two-year run-in. Oh, that's Two-year cool. anniversary. Yeah, that's pretty cool. 
Um, what we're gonna do for two year anniversary is we're going to bring Tolkien on the podcast. Yeah, we're gonna meet. This him. will be a podcast episode like no other. Yeah, yeah. I bet we could with like a AI voice thing. Yeah, you probably. Yeah, there's. <laughs> It'll sound like an old recording, but yeah. Let's yeah. see what we can do. It'd be kind of interesting. Um, we probably get sued. Yeah, but I mean, well, gets aren't any publicity is good publicity. <laughs> That's what they say in showbiz. Yeah, we are in the showbiz. Yeah, we are in the business of showing. Yeah, we're gonna well, show you guys everything. If you guys are still listening, also email us at exploringmiddleearthpod at gmail dot com. If you guys are still listening and comprehending what we're saying, yes, um, and not falling asleep to our dulcet tone, dult. Yeah, is that a that's a yeah. real word? Um, go ahead. Go ahead and quick shout out real quick out loud wherever you are. Just go. Ah! Go ahead and smash that like button. Go ahead, smash that like and subscribe button. I don't I don't even know where you'd find a subscribe button or a follow button. I don't know. There is a follow button on Spotify. Okay. Well, go ahead, smash that if you aren't already. Uh, go get down and dirty with that follow button. <laughs> go ahead, seduce that follow button for us mm-hmm. real quick. Consensually. Yeah, consensually. Imagine you are touring and that follow button is your sister. <laughs> Go ahead and smash it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's all we have for I think today. we should probably end it right there, guys. Yeah. Okay. Guys, thank you for listening. <laughs> and we'll see you next guys, time. Guys, go ahead and like it. <laughs> Anyways, all right. Yeah, well, okay, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.